And we are in the book of Judges one more time. Uh, Judges chapter 16 today. And we've got um, another message after this. And then we're, we're already in the Christmas season. So usually I start Christmas series. But this year we're uh, going to have a shorter series because I end up with uh, Ed Seeley will be with us uh, next Sunday. And I'm not sure he may have a, a Christmas message. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him uh, in detail as far as that. I did uh, text with him over the weekend here. And he's looking forward to the time with us. Um, last time he was here was 2018. So it's already been that amount of time. Uh, it seems like it, it was a lot more recent than that. But uh, that's, that's where we're at. And uh, he's looking forward to that. And, of course, a lot has happened in between, right? He was uh, not allowed to come into the United States during the COVID time and all that. So he had a lot of meetings that he said he had to reschedule and, and put off for a couple of years. So he's just now picking up meetings again, doing that. But I trust that uh, you'd pray for our meetings next weekend uh, with our uh, not only our concert on uh, Saturday night. And feel free to invite people out to the concert. It's at 630 um, they may be kind of a neutral thing for people to come to, but they will hear, they will hear the gospel, that's for sure. Uh, and then on, um, on Sunday morning as well, feel free on that. And, of course, uh, come to our banquet as well that precedes that. All right, we're in the book of Judges, and Judges chapter 16. I want to read down through this text this morning, and then we'll go back and open that up. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me, where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. And so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. And so he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room. But he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
But he awoke from his sleep, pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. And so the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Lord, we are grateful for your word and we are warned by it. And Lord, as we open up this text this morning, would you teach us, Lord, as only you can, and will you just help us, Lord, to keep short accounts with you and be close to you and know that, Lord, you want to dwell with us and in us and through us. And so we would pray to that end today, and I pray, O God, that you would work your work as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. We have this story of Samson and Delilah. It's probably one of the more familiar stories of the Bible, because most people even if they aren't real familiar with the scriptures, have some inclination of that story. Samson being a mighty man, and he was taken down by a woman named Delilah. And they don't know a lot of the other details necessarily, but it's a story that endures um, outside of people, you know, circles where people know the scriptures even. And um, the name Delilah is sort of associated with that kind of woman who, who took a man's strength. And yet, really what we see here is a tragedy that unfolds Uh, in the life of Samson again when he heads back to the Philistines and he gets involved with a woman and it's really Samson's choice that leads to this disaster in the end a disaster in his life a a total life-altering event that will take place in his uh, his days in the end and we read a little bit about that here but you know that this is um, something that has uh, come up time and time again in Samson's life. We've had, what now, eight uh, series of sermons, two months worth of sermons on Samson alone. And out of those three times, on three different occasions, we have women involved in his life that were Philistine women. And they were women that, as I've said before, I won't rehash all that, they were women that he was not supposed to go to and to be with and to take as a, a wife or to go and even... Um, you know, associate with him in any way. And we find that that's indeed what Samson does. And as I've said before, he, Samson sort of typifies for us the man that had so much going for him, right? He was strong. He was one of those guys that probably everywhere he walked, he was just a born leader, you know? And yet 
he squandered so much of it through his own lusts and his own desires and his own way. And it was very difficult for God to get a hold of Samson. Not because God wasn't strong, but because Samson resided in his own heart. It resided that he was stronger than God in many ways. And we see that by the fruit of his life. And it was only in the end of his life, we'll come to that in the next sermon, where God finally gets a hold of Samson. And I say that because we come here and there are three words I want to share this morning about this event that takes place in Samson's life. The first one is love. The word love appears. And it says here in verse 4 of chapter 16, Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. This is a love story. Well, sort of a love story. Uh, we have here Samson going, and we know from the context and the, 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 all that was happening, both in his heart and mind and hers, there really wasn't true love involved. It was more of a casualness, a relationship he threw himself into. And it says he loved a woman. And I think Samson really liked being with this woman and loved that aspect of it, but he certainly didn't commit to her whatsoever. And nor should he have, nor should he have even been in that situation down there with the Philistines. But the Bible records for us that he loved a woman. Now, it has often been said there are three things that men get in trouble with, uh, and, and they seem to be very common. They're not always in the same order either, but it's, it's wine, women, and wealth, Right? And those three areas can define men, can define women as well. We're going to find that out. But often it's in those areas of how we conduct ourselves that we get in trouble as men. And we see Samson time and time again. He gets in trouble with those very things. And the first one here being this aspect of love is we see that Samson loved Delilah but I think this kind of love is a just a casual love like she was probably pretty and she was you know someone he wanted and he thought hey this is a a quick score as some men would say which by the way is not what God wants us to do and going into any relationship and I would say that God has given us marriage as the outflow of true love between a man and a woman including intimacy within marriage. Outside of it, it will always lack. I mean, you can pretend and be part of that, and there's lots of people that don't, they forego marriage and, and all that, but, but the reality is you'll never have the depth of commitment until you uh, become married, and until you're, even before that, that you're equally yoked together, in the sense of, uh, in this case, Samson was even going against what the law had said. He was not to go and to take a woman of the Gentiles and the Philistines in particular. And yet he does that very thing. This is not something that would ever work. No no matter how much Samson said, I love you, Delilah, I love you. It never would work. The Bible says this of marriage. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed of undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. We live in a world where it has become very casual just to um, 
hook up with people and sleep with them and have sex and those kind of things and dispose of relationships and people in the process of doing that. There's a lot of heartache in that. And I certainly understand the temptations that are given to all people. And there's a lot of lonely people out there and all of that. But listen, you will never have the fullness of a relationship unless in that, in that aspect of it, you know, without marriage and without a proper marriage between the right people. And I say that because um, so often we want or we try to do something and it will just leave you empty in the end. And a lot of times there's a string of those kind of relationships. I'm not here to pick on anybody or to just throw stones and those kind of things. I just say it this way. The Bible says marriage is honorable and all. It's the way God wants to do things. And we ought to be a generation of believers in this generation that is still putting up and standing up and saying it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So many, even among Christians today, uh, are saying, oh, don't do that. Don't go, because maybe their relationship was bad or something like that. But listen, marriage is honorable in all. And remember that. The Bible warns us in different ways that we ought to keep ourselves for God. And that's the most important thing. You may not find yourself married. Uh, you might be single. And you know what? Be single and glorify God then. And do that. I, I understand the um, temptations are there as well and all of that. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for this is the will of God. Now whenever you see that, you ought to underline that in your Bible. All right, You want to know God's will? It's this really twofold will for what God has revealed in Scripture. That for those who are lost in their sins, he wills that they might be saved. That's part of God's will. He always wants people to be saved. And secondly, he wants those who are saved to be following him in sanctification. That's the process of living holy, being set apart for him. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, that's not locking yourself up in a room somewhere or, you know, chastity belts and those kind of things. People have tried that. Um, and it's, it's the idea of having your heart so impassioned with your Savior, with God, that you, everything else takes second place. And we live in a world, and I will just say, where it's less and less important for people to, to do that in their mindset. It's not really less important because God wants it. That's the will of God. For those who are believers, that's the context of this. This is for the church, for, for us. We are to be walking in sanctification. And then he goes on to say this, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That... No one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us unto uncleanness, but in holiness. That's important. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul teaches here, it's important to live for the Lord. Because it is not something that, as believers, we're not just to walk according to the course of this world. And uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. 
Proverbs chapter 1, there Solomon who wrote Proverbs here, he writes and he's writing to like a son. And, and, and it may indeed be this son, you know, when we think about it, sons of faith, people who know the Lord. And he writes and he says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your neck and chains about your neck. You know, there is a beauty in the godly. There is a beauty in those who walk in truth and in righteousness. There is. You, you run into somebody and they are right with the Lord and they're, they're walking with the Lord. And there's an inner beauty that shines right out through them in that. And it's attractive. Don't sell yourself short with the fashions of this world just to think you have to be beautiful in a such, such and such a way. Put on godliness. Put on holiness. Put on Christ. But anyways, he goes on to say, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Now I think of those Philistine lords. There they were hiding in the room with Samson and Delilah. And she knew about him. Samson didn't. He didn't really care. There are people that are lying in wait to trip you up. And our enemy, our spiritual enemy, the devil also, he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is that sneaky, you know, cunning, coy serpent. He's like that. Let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause let us swallow them alive like sheol the grave let who and whole like those who go down to the pit we shall find all kinds of precious possessions we shall fill our houses with spoil cast in your lot among us let us all have one purse sounds very similar to judges chapter 16 these philistines come along and they play on Another kind of love, the love Delilah had, she had a love for wealth. They say, hey, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver each, I think. That's how that reads. It's a lot of silver. No, that could have given Delilah instant wealth that would have set her as a wealthy woman for life. Or she could have Samson, who said he loved her. And you know what Delilah does. Her actions immediately are, Oh, Samson, honey, sweetheart, tell me where your strength lies. Why? Because she already had a desire far greater than him for the money. The love of wealth. Beware of that. My son, do not walk in their way with them. Keep your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. <laughs> wow. Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. You, you see the, the imagery there of taking the the law of God, the truth of God, all of that, and binding them about your heart. 
when they're bound about your heart. Because see, it's what's in the heart that eventually comes out, isn't it? And if you have the word of God in your, in your heart, listen, it's a lot harder to stray, isn't it? When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. All the things that Samson's not, by the way. When you roam, they will lead you. He wasn't led by the word of God. He had to suppress it to do that. When he was sleeping, they cut his hair off. Think about that. I think if they cut my hair off, it wouldn't matter. But anyways... But you'd probably notice someone taking a razor to your head. I hope you'd wake up. He was in a deep sleep. But you know, spiritually, we can fall into a slumber that sin has put us in. And we don't even know how bad off we are. Or how how dangerously we're living. He says, when you awake, they will speak with you. Here's someone whose mind is consumed with God. In a good way. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Good warnings for us, isn't it? Warnings for a world that is doing just that and wants every aspect of your heart and my heart. And it is there. And over the top of that is, oh, it's love. It's love. It's all about love. But not the right kind of love. And it led to the second part of this, lies. That's the second one. See, his relationship was not built on love. And really, it ends up being built on lies. And that would come in in the end. And, uh, and this is not a relationship that's going to ever succeed, period. It's just not. Look what he goes on to say. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what, with what you may be bound to afflict you. And she's not doing this to, just to get into his heart. She's doing it because she wants money. We know that. And that's what, her, uh, what she wants to do. And by the way, the lies of... Delilah um, and this plot that she has that she's been put in you know really in motion by these Philistines who are waiting to kill Samson because that's what they want remember he's the one that has killed thousands and he's the one that just ripped up the gate of the city and took it threw it up on the hill wow brought it up on the hill you know and, and I and they, they just have this animosity towards the hatred and they're waiting and they hate anything about him. And so he goes on and he begins to lie to her. And she lies to him. And it goes on and on and on. And we already read these. But he says, you know, bind me with, with seven bowstrings. Now, the uh, word is sinew or, or it would be tendons, basically. If you take a tendon out of, you know, the tendons that are there, they're, some of the, they're really the toughest material in your body. Um, as far as stuff that, you know, it's almost unbreakable almost if you've ever torn a tendon you know it takes a lot to do it usually but it hurts and tendons are like that and if you take tendons and then sort of um, separate the filaments of the tendon out and all that and then 
bind them together and all that. And one of the things they stick together, believe it or not, it, and it makes, especially when dried, it makes a, a bowstring, something very, very strong. You know, try to pull something back that's, you know, in a long bow like that, 70 or 80 pounds of bow and, you know, string an arrow and go. It takes something really tough. You know what he says? Oh, take, take that bowstring stuff, you know, and bind, my, bind me with those. And surely I'll be, I'll be weak at that point. And he knows that he can break that. And I have to say this, by the way, that the ligament or the tendons that would be used in that came from dead animals. And we see again Samson playing with dead things. You remember way back when we looked at him in the beginning, he was a Nazarite. Part of the Nazarite vow was that they weren't to touch dead things. And this was something freshly dead because it hadn't been dried yet. And here's Samson again playing with dead stuff. He was like that. He always was on the fence. And he would come out more often than not on the good side. But it wasn't because of his choices. It was because of God's grace in his life. <laughs> Amen. Don't play on the fence. Because you end up falling sometimes on the other side. And that's what's going to happen in the end of Samson. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And Samson, a very violent man, would end up reaping the whirlwind of that violence when they come at him after his strength had departed him. Anyways, there's that. And then he goes on to say, bind me with new ropes. So surely ropes would work, right? Ropes that hadn't been dried or stretched and, and they would be the strongest they are at any time. Bind me with those. And he breaks those off when she says, the Philistines are upon you. And then he says, well, weave the seven locks of my head into a loom. Now, I've never, uh, maybe it looked like that happened here, but, but I'll tell you, if you take someone's hair and you, you know, especially someone with long hair, like it appears Samson had long hair he had never cut, and a full head of hair, and you weave that into a loom, I mean, you'd think, that's it. I'm stuck there. He takes that, he rips the loom up and just rips it apart, you know, and he's back to, to normal. Again, playing on things. But then we find that in the end, she gets him, doesn't she? Because she begins to uh, talk about being mocked. And she daily vexes him or, you know, uh, continues to do that in his, you know, um, in his life. She begins to lie. And her lies, by the way, are, are quite sinister because she knows in the end that Samson's going to lose if she wins. <clears throat> Proverbs 6 verse 27 says can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned and the answer simply is no can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned right and we sometimes play that routine with sin and think oh I'm not going to get burned oh it happened to everybody else but not me don't believe it it's the greatest lie that's out there in that and it'll rob you of your testimony it'll rob you of of so much in that whole process uh move on here because we are to walk holy lives and in romans chapter six 
Paul writes here, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And if you're going to just let your body do whatever it wants, or your mind do whatever it wants, or wander wherever it wants, or whatever, it will always win if you don't stop it. And by the way, we don't do it alone in the flesh. We have the Holy Spirit who also helps us. And he is the great helper, the great comforter, the great one who keeps us. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It's important, isn't it? In the book of James, James also warns people. James is one of the oldest books in the New Testament. It was written really early on, about the same time the book of Galatians was written. But James, in chapter 1, he starts right off also talking about sin and temptation. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Isn't that the first excuse we sometimes go to? I hope not, but that, that's true. You know, Samson's like, well, you know, in his actions, at least he said this. Oh, God, you made beautiful women. Hey, it's your fault. That's not what happened. He says, for God cannot be tempted by, by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Right? But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The responsibility for sin falls back on us always you say well you don't know my parents you don't know what my dad was you you don't know the situation that i grew up in or what i'm in currently and and i will say empathetically you may have indeed been in a terrible situation and you may have been in even present tense in a terrible situation with lots of sin around you that isn't yours but it affects you and that i understand that i get that i see it all the time And it's sad. But when it comes to our own sin, and as a sinner, part of the human race as a sinner, I stand in judgment. I won't be judged for my parents' sin or my grandfather's sin or, or my wife or my husband's sin, those kind of things, as we think sometimes. We're going to be judged for our own sin. Stop making excuses. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, baited. That's what sin does. It baits you. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's always the pattern. Always. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the wages of sin. This is an awful negative message, isn't it? I can tell (laughs) But it's what we're going through as we cover the scriptures. And as we cover the scriptures, we have to look at this topic and say, wow. Because it is. It's Sin always brings death. So what was God's answer to that? Did God just leave us to flounder in our sin and try to find our own way? And try to figure this all out on our own? And go through broken relationships and heartaches and evil and everything else? No. He sent forth his only son. Born in a world of sinners yet he himself had no sin think about that 
He entered into our race. The blood pumping through his veins was human blood. And we have a redeemer from among our race who is able to save us from our sins. And he went and he died in our place. When there's sin, there has to be death. That's the pattern. God said, I'll answer that call. See, I couldn't pay for my own sin. Never could. Neither can you. Not one good thing you can do will ever pay for your sin. It's not by works of righteousness by, where you're sa- by which you're saved, the Bible says in Ephesians, right? But, but what does it say? The grace, the grace of God. For by grace you are saved through faith. Grace. And you know, God, that grace, which is the gift aspect of salvation, happens because of someone who gave the gift, and his gift was his very life. That's, that's an expensive gift. We're in that season of buying gifts and getting ready to give gifts and those kind of things. But can you imagine having a gift given to you and you, you, know, you, you say, I wonder how much this gift costs and what's the receipt, you know, if I have to bring it back or whatever. Oh, it costs somebody his life. Not just like, you know, we snuffed him out quick or anything. No, but suffered and died and bled and bled and died in that order most horrible death and he had to to pay for my sin that's a gift and that's a gift that should not be discarded and there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved that name is Jesus Christ and as we get ready to celebrate his birth coming up uh, in this time we celebrate it um, we're reminded of that it cost God his very life to save us. Lies. The last one is loss. Great loss. See, there was love, but it wasn't love. There were lots of lies. And yet, in the end, it would bring much loss for Samson. Delilah finally gets to him. And she vexes him to death, you know. Wow. Some of us have been there, right, in, in various times where someone has come along and they just, just eat at you until you finally give in. Wow. In this case, it, it's going to end up costing Samson a lot. Verse 15, it says, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. And so the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. And then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. 
And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. And then, my friends, some of the saddest words I've ever read. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Sin will do that to you. Sin will imprison you in your own tomb. Of your own making. Look what happens. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. That's a very polite way of saying they gouged his eyes out, either with sharp implements or even dull implements sometimes, or they took a hot iron, glowing you know, iron in the coals, and they would burn your eyes out. Think about that for one moment. I know some of you are going like, you know, just the thought of getting some little thing in your eye hurts. Imagine losing your eyes that way. The last thing that Samson would see here on earth was the face of his enemy, and he had lost his strength. He didn't know God had departed from him. Horrible thing. Horrible. And they brought him down to Gaza. There's Gaza again. Nothing good going on there, nothing good coming out. (laughs) Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. In other words, he was grinding out um, wheat or barley or other things like that, as an ox would do. Here's this beast of a man. We're going to make him a blind beast. And they tie him up, and he's in the prison, grinding out, walking in a circle all day long, just like a dumb animal. That's what happens. You know, there's a story of this is the Manhattan Detention Center. That's what it's called today in New York. It's called the Tombs by nickname or sort of, and that's what it was known as originally when it was the complex was built in uh, around 1838. They started building it. But interestingly enough, one of the contractors who became very wealthy on the project of the Tombs and built it originally, just after it was completed, he was convicted of forgery and ended up in the prison that he had made and ended his days in the prison that he had made. And he said something to this effect that never while I was building this place did I ever realize that I would someday be in it. And I think that that's a good image of what sin will do for us. Break free of that sin. Break free because it's worth it. Break free because the end is worth it. If you don't, you'll suffer the consequences of it. And you're not alone. Someone has taken that and is able to break the chain of sin as Jesus Christ. And if you will trust him, he is the one who has suffered and bled and died. And in many ways, we see what Jesus did for our sin. You see Samson being led about like an animal, having been shamed in every way. And the answer that God had for that was that God would send his only son and, and he would allow him to be led about by sinners and tormented and shamed. And just like an animal bound to the altar, he would be bound to a cross and there he would be crucified and he would do it for you and for me. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, we're thankful for the word of God. We're warned by it. We're encouraged by it. And Lord, I pray you would help break the sin that so easily besets us. And Lord, thank you for the person of Jesus Christ, our wonderful Savior. May we cast ourselves before you, Lord. May we find our deepest passions in you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.